for listening to FYI Stillwater, where you will hear information about your local government you didn't know you need to know straight from the source. Be sure to check out other news and information from the City of Stillwater at stillwater.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question for City Hall, email news at stillwater.org and in the next podcast, we'll answer a few of them. FYI Stillwater is available on our website at stillwater.org, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you enjoy your podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Fletcher, Director of Marketing and Civic Engagement. Today, my co-host is Megan Kazak, Communications Coordinator for the City of Stillwater. So, Megan, what are you working on today? Uh, today, I'm working on a recap of our uh, our most recent city council meeting at the time of this recording, which is our, which had our transportation town hall. Right. So there's a so what we do on those is we uh, we announce it before we announce city council before the meeting. We broadcast it live streaming. Also, you can watch recaps, and then we do a post. A kind of like a post update telling yeah. you what you kind of missed and when the next meeting is and how you can follow up and, you know, watch mm-hmm. that replay or, or catch a recap. So you do so, that every single council meeting. Yeah, so we're, we're doing that so that we can kind of keep people in the loop of like when the, the meetings are happening and some of the hot topics that council is talking about. Of course, we want to give people an opportunity if they want to come to that council meeting to speak on an agenda item and that's an option for uh, them. Right. They can sign up to speak. Um, so we had a lot of people come and speak at the town hall, of course, mm-hmm. because we are looking at a number of projects uh, to improve our transportation infrastructure, and we wanted to get people's input, and we wanted to hear from them about what their priorities are for our transportation system. So today, our guest is who, Megan? Our guest is Code Enforcement Supervisor Paul Bostic, and we're going to discuss the specifics of code enforcement That processes. is always a hot topic. It is, yeah. I think a lot of people, they probably know about our report and track, and some of those end up going to Paul's team, so I think it'll be great we'll to We'll have talk to ask them. Yeah. About that. Um, so some basic facts about code enforcement. This is a division of the Stillwater Police Department, and they issue citations for structural and non-structural related property maintenance. And this can include n- nuisance violation, violations such as inoperable vehicles, trash, littering, and tall weeds and grass. Citations are issued to ensure the health, safety, and welfare of our residents. Awesome. Welcome, Paul, to FYI Stillwater. Thank you. All right. Well, you know, if you've listened to our podcast, you know, we like to start with a lightning round. We're going to ask you some random but revealing questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. All right. So, Paul, which band or artist, and they can be dead or alive, would play at your funeral? Uh, be Jethro Tull. I almost could have guessed that. I don't actually know who that is. I'm sorry. Uh, Tell me about. It's one of the older rock bands. They were contemporary with the Stones and others. They were just okay. a little less known but, but they uh, had the flute yeah, yeah. ian anderson who was yeah the, the lead. really a rock band with a flute awesome okay. he taught himself flute and uh, is probably the only lead flute playing rock and roll band how That's, did i not know this you, existed you probably, in the world you've probably heard it i probably you just have. didn't realize that it was actually a rock band that's so much more impressive it's very impressive okay i'm googling this afterwards i promise yeah. this is awesome okay and <laughs> so do you have a specific so why, song? Yeah, what song? Uh, like? Locomotive Breath is probably one of the uh-huh. most favorite yeah. as far as both the, the song and the, his yeah. flute playing on it. So this would have been like from your uh, teen years, obviously. Yeah, they were yeah. very early through the early 70s all the way up. And he's, Ian Anderson still plays more solo and more flute, but yeah. he's still a, a performing artist. 
Awesome. Oh, I feel so uncultured now. I'm sorry. That was embarrassing. Anyway. <laughs> now, but you've, you've learned there's actually a flute play in um, Brockstar. Yes. Yeah. So Thank my, you, Paul. When I had my one year of learning flute, uh-huh. I'm like, yes, okay. Anywho. This would have been a solo for you to have done. Yeah. So, Paul, what is your best scar story? As I mentioned before, I worked for the police department for 32 years. And in 1999, we were trying to stop a vehicle, which we thought was a drunk driver. Turned out he was diabetic. But in the process, uh, I got crushed between my patrol car and the front of his car when he ran in the back of my vehicle. Uh, During the process of putting my knee back together, the surgeon later came to me and said his, telling me a funny story, but the fact that his uh, surgeons, his, his surgery nurses, Gave him a very hard time to make sure that he had all my tattoos lined back up when he stitched it together. Oh, that was some special care that yeah, was given they, to you. Awesome. Yeah. Did they do a good job? Yes, he did a real good job. Oh. Pretty well matched up where they were supposed to be. <laughs> now, that's, not, that's something I've never really thought about, but... I could see where you, you know, like if you had a cut or something and you had like a sleeve tattoo, it could be really traumatic. You've put a lot of, you know, effort into money. the yeah, money <laughs> and then have someone really mess your tattoo up. Yeah. Things I've not thought about. So you've brought two things with you today. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe this one, maybe I know the answer to this one. What is your favorite musical instrument and why? It's actually a mountain dulcimer. I've been playing them for years. Uh, they are a small folk instrument, kind of grew up in the Appalachians of Virginia and Tennessee. Uh, very easy to play, but they're just kind of a really fun musical folk style instrument to play on. So do you go out and perform? Yeah, occasionally I do. Uh, I'll go to Civil War reenactments. Uh-huh. I play some there. Um, just oh, that would work. Fit sound really like authentic. authentic. Right. They're, yeah. they're contemporary to that time, yeah. so they work very well with that. And then uh, sometimes I play out the botanical gardens. Sometimes mm-hmm. over on campus, just wherever the urge. Yeah, because it would be very uh, kind of like listening to a harp. I think you know, very soothing. Uh, they can be. I also yeah. have one that has a banjo head on it, so they're ah. much more of a brassy banjo sound. Yeah. So you can play them in a lot so do of you different play it, styles. It, uh, with other people, or is it usually a solo? More solo than anything else. Yeah, awesome. I think wow. we need to get a recording of that. I, yeah, I think I need to ask yeah. you another question because I feel like I'm learning so many like. Great so things. do you dress up? Do you do reenactment civil yeah. war? I mean, so when you I would do the go, civil war stuff, yeah. I do. I dress in contemporary uh-huh. time and outfit, and I, you know, besides playing it, I got interested in I learned their history. So right. a lot of it's the educational, mm-hmm. of trying to explain people where they came from, how uh-huh. they came about, because uh, they're not common in this part of the country. Uh-huh. They're more associated with the old mountain music. Right. So if you go to Branson, you'll find them, or Arkansas, or the Ozarks, mm-hmm. or the Appalachians. But out here in this part of the country, you rarely. Have yeah. someone that knows what they are. Awesome. That was really interesting. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and start the, the real portion of our interview. Um, you told us you were a police officer. So how does one go from a police officer to a code enforcement? Or is there a big gap there at all? Not a big gap. Uh, basically, I was 32 years on the department. Mm-hmm. Uh, the city decided to open up a code enforcement branch within the police department. Uh-huh. And it was just an opportunity that uh, I could switch over and continue working with mm-hmm. the city. The real differences are just trying to go from criminal law to property and maintenance law, which yeah. are considerably different. Uh, you think you know a lot about one type, and then you get into it and realize it's Because it's ticket writing. And we still issue tickets. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's one of the reasons they put it under the police right. department, because we do issue criminal violations mm-hmm. when we need to. 
So in, you'd follow a code if they do right. this, it requires this. So so right. it seems like a natural fit. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was pretty easy to transfer over to other than having mm -hmm. to learn all the differences in zoning codes and What's things a violation? besides criminal law that police officers never deal with. Because the one thing, like, like we we run the uh, website where we see everybody, you know, it's like they report uh, what's going on in their neighborhood. People are very passionate about, uh, like, how high their neighbor's grass is. So you're the person that those emails go to, yes. that you have to go out and check. Right. Um, so what was the first thing you learned about uh, people in, in the height of grass? Well, the biggest thing, we do have a code dealing with it. Uh, the Probably the largest misconception we run into is, again, code enforcement is designed to protect health, safety, and welfare. Mm -hmm. It's not designed to make things look nice. Aesthetics. Uh, so basically, the code says that if grass gets up greater than a foot tall and it poses a danger to the health, the safety, and the welfare of the public, then we can get involved. There are times when just because your neighbor's lawn's a few inches taller than yours is, because you keep yours very manicured, doesn't mean it's a code violation. Um, there are places where grass can get two to three foot tall and it's still not a violation because where it is and the places and settings it's at, it's not really posing a hazard to anybody. Mm -hmm. So again, it's that thing that government's not going to get involved in your life unless we can justify that there is immediate threat to health or safety, not just the fact that somebody doesn't like the fact you have a large field full of flowers. Oh yeah, because they think it's too tall, but but you do have uh, reasons to write a ticket or not a ticket. What if the grass really does pose a, a health issue, health issue? What's the process to get it cut? Well, once it's reported to us and we've determined there is a violation, we follow state law that basically says we have to mail the owners of the property a notice. We also post the property. And it says basically that they have 10 days from the date of mailing to mow or clean the property mm -hmm. to code. After that time, if they fail to do it, then we have a contractor that we call in that will mow it, clean it. The bill is sent to the owner of the property. If they fail to pay the bill, then it can be uh, leaned against their property taxes. So so how long does this process take? Because, okay, let's say that the, the grass is two feet tall. What's, I mean, because it would just continue to grow until mm -hmm. the um, until the abatement happens. Right. So how long is this process? Well, as a general rule, we can answer a call within that day the call comes in or the next day. Mm -hmm. We respond usually within 24 hours. So then it will just take an hour or two to write the letter. Then it's going to depend on when the mail goes out. Mm -hmm. For instance, if it's on a Friday and the mail doesn't go out till Monday. Yeah. That's when the 10-day clock starts. Mm -hmm. Then once that 10 days is up, we call the contractor, and he can usually, again, get to it within 24 to 48 yeah. hours. So within a couple of weeks. Yeah. About but, two weeks is yeah. going to be the average yeah. expectation. But in the meantime, the grass is continuing to right. grow. Uh, the good news about that, though, is under law, once we've issued that order, it's good for six months. If the mm -hmm. property becomes out of violation again, we don't have to wait. We don't have to re-notify yeah. them. We just call the contractor and say, go mow it out again. Okay. All right. What, one little question I have just kind of regarding grasses. So you say it has to be, you have to verify if it's a, a threat to safety or mm -hmm. wellness and health. So what are some of those some of those things that would make you determine that decision? Again, it's good. It depends on location. A uh, good example is if it's a house in a developed residential neighborhood. 
Um, those are things you're concerned about because as the grass gets a foot or more taller, you're going to have problems with ticks, with um, vermin that can get into it. If they have an old brush pile that they've thrown stuff up into, you can you know attract things that'll want to live in that. And because they're so close proximity to other houses, that's a threat. Mm -hmm. But again, a very large open field in a non-built up area, we probably will never abate that simply because I can't articulate how it's a danger. Now, again, if it's a very dry season, at the end of the year, we might get on the property owners to mow it down to prevent a fire hazard. But again, if you look back historically and as long as I've been in Stillwater, I really can't ever recall a field catching on fire here inside the city limits mm -hmm that posed a danger to somebody. So mm -hmm. you have to kind of look at it with some common sense and saying, could it catch fire? Sure. Will it? Probably not. So we have to kind of base it on yeah. good sense. So what about uh, dilapidated buildings? That's kind of become a, a, a topic recently because we took down, we're in the process of taking down the uh, buildings at maple and duck, duck. duck. Mm -hmm. so uh so what's the process for a dilapidated building it's very similar uh, we operate under the international property maintenance code which is basically an international code that organization that writes code for the world so instead of a city like stillwater having to write our entire own code we simply have adopted that and there's a little clause in stillwater law that says we recognize the international property maintenance code everything in it is enforceable and part of those codes are, are simple common sense things like um, if you have a wooden structure it has to be painted and maintain its paint so it doesn't rot um, you can't have holes in the roof you can't have holes in the structure you can't have broken windows all those things that can cause the house to continue to deteriorate, which is a health issue, or will attract vermin, which then affect the neighbors and right. safety issue. So what, again, once we find one's in violation, we again have to notify owners that they have usually 10 days minimum. And again, it's going to be based on how much work we expect they have to do, that we're going to give them a reasonable effort and say, you will bring this to code. And if not, then we can start issuing fines. Um, now, unlike grass that we would mow, we are not going to go and paint your house. Right. We will tell you to get it painted. And if that doesn't occur and we are going to the next phase of having to file charges, then once that begins, we have the option of submitting the case to the city attorney or the city council and have it brought before them as being a derelict detriment to the society, which is what happened with the apartments mm -hmm. on Duck and Maple. If we know they're, you know, the owner for whatever reason is not going to fix it up, has not taken the steps to fix it up, then it can be basically designed as a public nuisance and a blight. And uh -huh. the council has the authority to say, you will either take it down or we will. Mm -hmm. And then it goes through the same process of city can hire a demolition crew. The demolition crew can take it down. Bill goes to the owner. They don't pay it. Goes on to the property taxes. So, uh, so there are a lot of steps and, and some judgment call, I guess, as to um, how long um, a building stays up because it seems like they're like the maple ones probably have been considered derelict for a while and we're just kind of getting Correct. to it. And part of it is, you, you know, like any community, we try to work with the businesses mm -hmm. first. Of course, there's also two major things that often throw a monkey wrench in the system and as one is halfway through the process if the property sells oh. we have to start all over again 
because this is a, a, a criminal and civil process, which you as a mm -hmm. property owner have due rights under the Constitution. So we can't enforce old orders on you. It starts mm -hmm. all over again. So that can put it off. And then second is because it, again, is a civil action, they have every right to appeal it to a district court. So if we send them an order saying you will get it done, they have the right to appeal that to the district court. They will then set a court date at whatever convenience it is to the district court. Then we have to bring in our side. They bring in their our side. We argue it before a judge. That judge has the ability to uphold our ruling and order a demo. He could decide they need some more time, could give them more time. Then if they fail to, we have to go back to court to notify the judge so they have why. failed in their obligations yeah. to the court, and then the judge again can then issue an order to demolish. So, to demolish. It, it, so it's a lot more than just what we're doing that right. can affect the legal. Because all property owners are protected under the Constitution. They mm -hmm. have due right, because we are seizing your property if we demolish it, and you have the right to appeal that to a higher authority, um, even if to the point if you wish to fight it far enough, if the district court ordered demolition, you could appeal that to the Oklahoma Appellate Court. And then you could go all the way to the Supreme Court if you yeah. wanted to fight it far enough and long enough. And all of that time, it's put on hold. And then buildings continuing to dilapidate. Right. Wow. That is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what else would be considered a code violation? Um I, th I think I read that like dilapidated cars. Is that yeah. what you call them? Dilapidated? It falls yeah. under ordinances for junk motor vehicles. Oh, junk. Yeah. And again, the, the purpose of the ordinance is not to tell a person that if their car is set there for two years, they have to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. If it's got to the point that if the tags are expired, that by definition is junk motor vehicle because you owe taxes to the state of Oklahoma oh, okay. and Oklahoma likes collecting its taxes. If the car is very obviously derelict, like the hood's up and the motor's sitting out beside it, yeah. if all the tires are flat, if it's got trash and junk underneath it, that becomes a health safety issue again. And we can order that you either repair it mm -hmm. or remove it from the property or properly store it like in a garage or yeah. someplace where it's no longer posing a, a, a nuisance to the neighborhood and attracting things that like to get into old derelict oh, cars. Yeah, I guess that, so I can see that is a health hazard too. Uh, so what other things would uh, that fall under code enforcement? Mm, our primarily ones are going to be just the upkeep of the property, which are, can be high weeds. It can be, um, said, brush piles. We also deal with hazardous trees. If you have a large tree on your property that's died, it's very obviously not going to get better. Yeah. Eventually, it's going to fall down. Right. And if it can threaten the public or someone walks down a sidewalk or your neighbor's house if it falls over, we can, again, order you to remove that tree. If Even if it's not in the right of way. Right. Awesome. Sometimes we get questions, and, and uh, let me know if this doesn't fall under you, but sometimes we get questions on social media. We'll have emails with people saying, this person parked their car like on the street and it's like they can't back out and they feel like it's the, you know, it's violating something. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me if code enforcement, like how you handle that and like what you want people to know about this? No, the only thing that we would handle uh, is if it's junked and generally anything that's parked on the street would go to parking enforcement okay. where they can enforce it is either. We do have an ordinance on the books that says you're not supposed to park your car for more than 24 hours without moving it. Mm -hmm. Again, we don't go mark every car on the street, but if it's one that's obviously not been moved for a long period of time, they can mark it and make an owner either move it or they can impound it. 
So there's lots of um, uh, people looking out to make sure that you uh, that that you can live in your property without worrying about health hazards or worrying that your child's going to go play in some derelict car, mm-hmm. uh, buildings are going to fall down on them. Right. We deal with uh, stagnant swimming pools if they don't keep oh. their pools up. Anything that's going to attract or breed mosquitoes. Yeah. Uh, people who have abandoned property that have old containers full of water on them. Yeah. If, if they are, again, health issue, if they are breeding mosquitoes, we can, again, tell them to clean it or we will clean it. Because a lot of people do ask if Stillwater has a uh, mosquito, like yeah, if like we mosquito spray for spraying mis- program. Yeah, that one. Hire someone to do that. I guess a lot of cities do that, but I don't believe Stillwater no, sprays for mosquitoes. Stillwater doesn't do that. Yeah. But if if your neighbor is not taking care of uh, their, their like a water, contained water, that's something that they could call you about. So would that still be the same process that... Correct. You would go, and it's like you got 10 days to dump that water or... Right. Again, something as big as a swimming pool, uh, you're going to be under orders to either clean it, make it safe, cover it to the point it cannot be used as habitation, or we can start a fining process. And again, that would be much like a demolition. It would have to go through a much more rigorous to actually get an order that you demolish your pool or fill it in. But uh, that would be an option we could pursue if you just ah. simply refuse to take care of it. Awesome. I did not know that. So what's the best way to get in touch with code enforcement to submit a concern? If you're like computers, you can go online through this, the city SNAP program, or you can just simply uh, call the city switchboard, ask to uh, talk to code enforcement, and there will always be some answer to you. So am I allowed to uh, anonymously report my neighbor? For having mosquitoes, yes. you know, breeding, so I can do that anonymously. Right. Well, there is actually one on the city site. It's a uh, property maintenance tip line uh-huh. that you can call into. It then forwards to me, which does not even capture the phone number. Right. It just simply okay. sends it over to me. Said so snap reporting does require that you uh, put an email in, and it does two things. One, it helps us track them because any in any action that we do that we put on snap, it will automatically send. The reporting person a copy yeah so if i tell them i posted the property for 10 days it will be abated then they get to know about yeah. it uh, but just an anonymous one you can simply call the uh, tip line also if they call the switchboard and it's forwarded to my phone that does not capture the right. number either it mm-hmm. comes in as a city switchboard so if i'm in the office you can c- talk to me if you get my uh, answering machine just leave a message for where the property is and what the problem is, and we will go out and take a look at it. Awesome. Is there anything else the residents need to know that you would like to share with them? No, I really can't think of too much other than they, you know, and it's hard to explain to people sometimes they haven't been in, in criminal justice, but because there is a constitutional protection that people have, there are things we simply can't do. It's like I said, I can make you paint your house if it's got rot on it, I can't tell you what color to paint it. If you have aluminum siding that protects the property, I can't really tell you to paint that because it's not damaging property. Uh, If a neighbor's car has been parked there for four years, if it looks like it can run, I'm probably not going to bother it so long as they're keeping it clean underneath it. We have, you know, both the property owner's rights we have to protect balanced against the society's need to Mm -hmm. keep things clean and neat and orderly. Awesome. Well, that's some good information, Megan. Yeah. 
Thank you so much. Um, we would like to invite you back uh, to talk a little bit more about dilapidated buildings, perhaps, and, you know, kind of what the city's going through. Because I know councils, it's been on council's mm -hmm. agenda a few times. So anyway, well, thanks again. And um, what you do is, you know, like I said, kind of taking care of the health. You don't really think of code enforcement maybe as, uh, uh, you know, protecting health and welfare of the neighbors, but that's what it's designed for. All right. Awesome. Before we go, Megan, let's take a look at the mailbox. The city receives questions in a lot of ways, including email, social media, phone calls. So our first question today is from Crystal on Facebook. When is the citywide trash dump for curbside pickup? I have some old furniture I want to throw out. and It's not sellable. Yeah, so Crystal, the city, we actually don't have like a citywide dump day or anything like that. And I know some other communities might. So mm -hmm. we, we do see that question frequently. So we don't have a day dedicated to that. But we do offer something called bulk item pickup service. It is an additional fee. But if you need to get rid of things like furniture, appliances, electronics, and you really would like them to be picked up at your property, you can call our um, Utilities and Billing Services Department and they'll arrange for a curbside pickup. And we have a lot more information about that and a lot of other services that are available to you, either free or with an additional fee right. because you are a city of Stillwater Utility customer. So if you just check out our website. Because um, it could be a solution a to there. what you need. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Thanks, Megan. Let's go to question number two. Uh, this one's kind of a two-part question. And Krista from Facebook has a couple of things about yard waste. One is she had a bunch of limbs out at the curb, and she's not really sure why they're not being picked up. And then she, her second part of it is that there's a large tree kind of between her yard and her neighbor's yard, and the branches are broken and just laying everywhere. And she wants to know how she can get that cleaned up. Yes. So Krista, to answer the first question about yard waste and the limbs that weren't picked up. So our waste management team um, will, um, they'll pick up up to 10 bundles at a time on the day that they'll collect the yard waste, which is every collection day, except for your first collection day. Right, Cause that's month. when we pick up glass. Yes. So they're going to only pick up up to 10. So if you had more than 10 bundles, they have to leave some of them behind. Um, you can reach out to us and, and we will go check on it to see if that was, you know, the case and whatnot. But, you know, you can leave it out at the curb and bring them back out for your next collection day and have them picked up again. There's also the convenience collection center that you can mm -hmm. take yard waste to. Um, Over on 8th and Perkins. Yes. Yeah. So that's another option for you. And then for the question about um, the fallen tree, so typically fallen branches and limbs are the responsibility of the property owner. Um, so it would be that property owner's responsibility to remove it, to cut it down and, you know, bundle it for yard waste collection or to take it to the right. convenience collection center. So um, lots of good information there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for listening to FYI Stillwater. Tune in for our next podcast.